Okay. Oh, I guess we're on the Love Talk Radio. Guess we're on the freaking air then. Here we go. <coughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And, of course, the big news today is Kobe Bryant died in a plane crash. So RIP to him and his daughter. And actually a helicopter crash, but same thing. Helicopter crash. Well, yeah. one goes boom, boom, and one goes war, war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little it, but, Yeah. It's also been uh, reported that his daughter died in the crash also. Yeah, that's been confirmed. Mm. It's him, his 13-year-old daughters, and uh, six other, nine in total. God, that's horrible. Yeah. I'm giving it two days for we have an idiot conspiracist we could take out back and beat the crap out of. Yeah, really. Uh, One other thing that I did see about Kobe Bryant is that um, the Pro Bowl, which is playing now, uh, there's been several, several tributes to him already. By players, individual players who make a good play or whatever the case. There's been a lot, a lot of uh, uh, um, respect there, which is a good thing. Can you imagine that going to play the Pro Bowl, your biggest Bowl of the year as well for any of the people who aren't in the Super Bowl. Yep. In five minutes into the game. Damn. Just yeah, really. Our our condolences to his family, to everyone, uh, to the Lakers organization, everybody, to basketball fans everywhere. He was one of the greatest. No question. Yeah. He's, he's retired. He was retired in the coaching position, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And only 41 years old. God damn. And here I am, 49, turning 50 this year. Middle-aged Ooh, crazy. the big 5-0. I'll have to celebrate when you turn. Yeah, but still, it's goddamn when you see he's like, famous person dies. How old? A lot younger than yeah. you are. God damn. Mhm. Very true. Yeah, uh, they listen to the who too much. They listen to the who too much. Damn it. <laughs> Explain. Before well, I, I die, this. before I get old. Yep. And who was it that wrote uh, Live Fast, Die Young, and Leave a Good-Looking Corpse? Uh, there's there's several people attributed to that, uh, including Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Well, his last line was the saddest. What? Uh, there's no more tape in the VCR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a difference between a freak accident. I'm hoping it's a freak accident and not some dumbass thing like they ran out of gas or the plane wasn't properly. No, no, it was definitely. I mean, they'll get the black box. They'll they'll find out more in the next couple of days. Uh, But it was aircraft uh, malfunction for sure. It was. Yeah. That's what they're saying, at least. But, yeah, I mean, 
Well, with the story that, well, with the narrative that we're going on tonight, yes, well, most people talk about New York tourism born in the fall of the 80s. They can't seem to get off one block, can they, Carl? They just always stuck on that one damn block. Well, there, there's a lot of stuff. I I actually had a conversation with the friend I'm staying with. Uh, yeah. And he actually says said that uh, he thinks that the tourism board had a right to do what they did. Uh, and he also doesn't think that they had the power that they had. And, and and we can certainly uh, argue that point. Uh, however, I do know for a fact uh, that there was a lot of pressure put on specific uh, film uh, enterprises here in the city uh, through the Tourism Board. Let's not forget also that the New York City Tourism Board is connected to the New York State Tourism Board. Right. Which can also put a lot of pressure. Right. Uh, and, and so, go ahead. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the entire city. I'm just, well, what I was hinting at is most people focus on the downfall of 42nd Street. And that's just the most obvious, the most documented one. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, and and of course, you know, the films we'll be talking about are specifically most of them focused on Times Square in that area. Now, but you know, it goes back to what's the dirtiest word that one can speak? Gentrification. Let's not forget gentrification yeah. happened oh God, all throughout New York City. A big thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And for that, we're going to have to go all the way back to 1968 when Carl was still a youngling. And the New York Preservation and Renewification Project. Mm -hmm. That's a mouthful, ain't it? Yes, it is. Absolutely. But that really was the start of getting rid of the old New York, which was the melting pot, the Lady of Liberty, give me your poor, your weak, your huddled masses. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. You know, that's there. there's this natural progression in a city where, you know, you have certain areas which were at that time called ghettos, where where the ghettos weren't particularly working class or people that just came over and they would settle in a, a neighborhood generally and these these neighborhoods were ethnic. So you had, you know, back yeah, I mean areas. back uh, um, you know but but whatever the case. So so what happened is the landlords in that started to see that, you know, they could develop the land more and push people out. And that happened constantly through New York, you know, history. You know, you take a look at um, what's the, the Scorsese film, Gangs of New York, and what happened yeah. during the Tammany. 
and all of this and, and who controlled the power and such. But, but what the Taurus board did was a little different in terms that they put pressure on, you know, filmmakers and, and uh, film production in New York. And remember, that brings a lot of money to New York to show New York in a positive light. Yeah, and therefore there were several yeah there were several film and productions that uh uh ran afoul of their of of what they thought was a positive message for New York. Yeah. And, and that's back then, more or less it, what we're talking. And it was the ghettos weren't a bad thing. You would have Back then, you would have Little Italy, Little Odessa, uh, Spanish Harlem, Harlem, the Bronx, which was Puerto Rican. You know, certain areas were Puerto Rican. There's parts of the Bronx that were high-end, too, Riverside particularly. But But, just, just like... You know, you know the East Village where I uh, spent most of my time in the '80s was originally Russian and Ukrainian, and then okay. the Bohemians took it over. Oh yeah, and that's a that happened. That's happening still. The artists they moved to Williamsburg. Now they're going into Greenpoint, and that's in in Brooklyn, uh, yeah. uh, and and you have areas in in uh, Queens too. Uh, I mean, there are still areas in in the boroughs that are, you know, ethnic-centric. Like where I live in Jackson Heights, it's very Latinx. Uh, Out in Flushing, it's very Chinese and and, and Asian. And so on and so forth. Yeah. And the reason that a lot of exploitation films from the 60s and stuff were New York-based was... One, that's where the filmmakers were located. It wasn't because they wanted to, you know, do that. That was where they was. Mm-hmm. You know, that was like, yeah. hey, we want to make a sex film. Well, let's make it over in this apartment building. I got a couple of dirty mattresses, and we can film out in the street in front of it, and we'll get it done in two or three days. There you go. Hell, Joe Sarno, if you go to his early stuff, just watch I own a couple of his early uh, stuff from the 50s. What? Yeah. I said I I own a couple of his things from the 50s. You watch his early stuff and you can get, uh, what do they call it, lockjaw and tetanus from just looking at the places they were filming. Mm Mm-hmm. It's hard to notice the girls because the mattresses were so damn filthy. <laughs> no joke. Right? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, and I've heard yeah, stories you need a lot of Getting couches and mattresses out of the garbage in front of buildings and dragging it up there for a shoot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And those would play good in the country and suburban areas so they could go, ooh, we're looking at something dangerous. Yeah. 
there was always a bit of danger in New York to a certain degree. I mean, I remember visiting in the 70s. We, we went when I was in college. We, I yeah. went four years in a row. And, and we would get these uh, lectures, you know, don't do this, don't do that, you know, always go out in pairs, you know, don't, you know. And we'd always get those. Of course, what did I do? I went out on my own. Fuck it. Seriously. Uh, go down to the tower. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, the earliest uh, film that I could think of that would fit where Carl was going would be a film that he loves from the early 70s called uh, The Super. Uh, no, The Landlord. The Landlord. The Landlord. Yeah. Yep. Tell us about that one, Carl. Well, the interesting, funny, you should mention that. Because they have a series at the film forum right now called uh, Black Women in Film. And uh, uh, they will be running The Landlord next Monday. And I will actually be watching it on a big screen. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, but The Landlord is a film by um, um, the same guy who did um, uh, Harold and Maude, uh, Hal Ashby. And uh, basically it's Bo Bridges. It's a very you know, the rich son of a rich landlord. And and uh, he's sort of a ne'er-do-well, and his father makes him take over this tenement. And the whole thing about this is that he really learns uh, about racism, about a number of different things from the uh, uh, tenants and bonds with the tenants. And it's one of those things you don't, you know, it, it, it's it's a really well done film. It's a comedy, but it's uh, uh, it shows certain areas of New York uh, and and the how you know how these things were uh, uh, kept up, which is not good. So you're seeing some really ratty areas, and. and uh, it's it's a really good film. It's a really good film. Which was semi-remade in the 90s as The Super with Joe Pesci. Right, but that one went for a lot more uh, um, slapstick, whereas yeah, The Landlord is much more comedy. And yeah. The Super was actually part of the sad thing was like, oh, if we could get everybody together, we'd all come together. Everybody. What does that song say? Come on, people now. Smile on your brothers. Everybody come together and love one another right now. Well, don't don't think that's not in the original either. You know, oh, uh, I'm, ta- that's oh, I'm saying that is the original. They would have movies like that where uh, the fish out of water would come and, and bond with the people, yeah. But this was a lot more angry. The original one is a lot more angry, oh, which is good. You couldn't make a film in the savings without it being pissed off in sort of a way. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's the era of the pissed off film. Trust me. That's why yeah. I love the 70s so much. But, yeah, I mean, and another one, which was a book that came out in the late 60s, which, well, everybody and their mother knows Shaft, right, Carl? Yep. One of the best New York-based black movies and black series there is. Well, the first two. Shaft in Africa, some people like it. I think it's goofy because I know what they wanted to make, which is what I'm going to get in it. And God, I wish they would have made that book. I mean, for a while in the mid '00s, the title of that book was sort of a joke because they hadn't read it, right, Carl? Right. This is true. And that what, Carl? I said that was true. I agree. And that wouldn't be. I think it. It was one of the middle shaft books, and it was called Shaft Among the Jews. Which would have had John Shaft having to go into the Jewish district because of a murder case that took place there. Mm-hmm. And if they, and that, if they could have, what? Well, I was just going to say, and and that, you know, the way that book plays out, it shows that that both, you know, the Jews and and the blacks uh, were fighting the same thing. And yeah, again, it's a my... fish out of water, and they bond, and they bound, bound together to, to to fight, you know, the man, so to speak. Or not even, yeah. so to speak, to fight the man. And it has one of my greatest moments ever. And it's like uh, a, black, a shaft looks at the old Jewish guy and he says, you wouldn't understand what it would be to be have a genocide of your own people. And then the old man takes up his shirt. Show Shaft his Holocaust tattoo, and he said, "Yes, I would." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They thought that the book, the movie, would be too controversial, which it really wouldn't, a way, because most of the book really shows Shaft as racist, mm-hmm. which I like the fact that he becomes not. Right, and that's the whole point of the book, too. Any of these stories we're talking about, like the landlord or, or Shaft Among the Jews, it's about a repositioning of a learned behavior and do something that's more empathetic. Yeah. Well, that's what you would get in the late 60s, early 70s, you know. But, yeah, you right. look at those movies, you'll get the landlord more than Shaft. You will get to see... A dark secret about New York, which they really wouldn't be, because one of the first things that the <coughs> a historical preservation project did was take the borough of Hell's Kitchen, which is a predominantly mafia-run borough, and they tried their goddamnedest to change it to Clinton, didn't they? Well, you know, I, I don't, you know, you show me this, and, and I can tell you this. There's nobody in New York that calls this Clinton. Calls yeah. Hell's Clinton. Clinton. Nobody. Trust me on that, okay? Yeah. I mean, they tried. And everybody in Lizard was like, no, fuck you, it's Hell's Kitchen. 
Yeah. Because they were, because New York City guys, even you who live in the 80s, are proud of its history. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the most dangerous thing about gentrification is they disregard history. Well, it's it's not just that, and they certainly do that. But it's also the, the, the sense that gentrification also comes with a, a sense of, if not outright prejudice, of, uh, of, of you know separating ethnic groups and their culture dissipates. I mean, a perfect example of that, you know, is you go into a, a place like I am, Jackson Heights, and 80, 90% of the businesses are all uh, Latinx. But you go to anywhere in Manhattan and you take a look at, at uh, 42nd Street, it's all corporate. Everything is corporate. Yeah. Okay. And there's no sense of nationality. Yeah. I mean, there used to be in the East Village or, uh, on East 6th Street, I guess it was. Uh, row upon row of Indian restaurants, not there anymore. There's a couple left, but yeah. but it's all changed. And now you, you have McDonald's my, there. Yeah, and you, you have all these other jokes there. of uh, Woody Allen's was back when he was doing stand up. Is what? What's the hardest thing to do in New York City on a Saturday night? I don't know what. Decide what kind of food you're going to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, "What do you Very want to true. eat? You want to go to a Jewish deli? You want to go Indian? You want to go eat some Spanish food? You want to go eat Puerto Rican? You want to go eat some Chinese? You want to get some Russian? You want to get Jewish food? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I envy people that had that hard of a discussion over, you know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, and, and it's a wonderful thing. And, and and don't kid yourself; you still have that in New York. You still have, but it's it's gotten more frou frou, I guess. You know, it's gotten more yeah. high end. You know, the places I miss, that I used to. In my well, let me <laughs> Okay, let me finish. And in my day, you'd go to these little, like, holes in the walls, and you'd have a little German restaurant. You'd have this. You'd have that. You'd go to little uh, – but th- you don't see those little places anymore. There are very few of those. It's much more high-end. Even here, it's more high-end stuff, Yeah, mom which is a shame. Restaurants. Mm. Yeah. Trust me, I'd rather go to a little little ass mom and pop restaurant diner that cooks great food than some big corporate restaurant like Applebee's, Zaxby's, Texas Roadhouse. Oh yeah. No thanks. I agree. The best steakhouse I we agree. ever had in Knoxville, Carl, it was this place. It went in and it was just this 
if you wanted to, you could tell the waiter what you wanted. But if you wanted to, it was this giant butcher block. And you mm-hmm. would go up there and you would get to cut your own steak. How thick you wanted it, what cut. And then nice. the table over, they would have a gigantic spice rack. Nice. You would season your own damn steak and then tell them how to cook it. Or you could cook it yourself if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, God, that was so good. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They still have a couple no. of old uh, uh, steakhouses like that. Yeah, and but I can tell you I that. Know, you go to a steakhouse like that, you're going to be paying money off the yin-yang, which I can't friggin' afford. Trust me. Yeah. It's like uh, a month ago they were uh, posting something about the truth about the Irishman. Mm-hmm. And that led to uh, Carter, Jeannie, and Annette doing like a big five, ten, ten-minute love note to Umberto's Clam House. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's one of those places that everyone who ate there just says, oh, God, the fucking spaghetti. <laughs> uh. Now, if you want the best movie about the loss of that, which we're talking about, look up Big Night. Oh, absolutely. Friggin' lutely. Absolutely. And that's Love exactly that what it's talking about. It's about this little restaurant in New York where there's a big corporate Italian restaurant opening next door. And they're doing their damnedest to try to stay open and keep going. Mm-hmm. By cooking the recipes they wanted the way they learned it rather than the way that the corporate machine way, which people, you know. Yep. It's sad that most people would rather go to a McDonald's for a quick burger than go to a little fucking burger joint. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? <clears throat> it, it's a shame. And, and and there's a lot of them up here, okay? They're, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, but you also have Emoji Burger. You have... All these high ends. I just went to Smashburger not too long ago, and and it was awful, and it was way fucking overpriced. That's what happens. Well, Steak and Shake. If you get a steak and a burger there for under twenty bucks, you're lucky. Yeah. But the thing about these exploitation films from the sixties. And early 70s, the real sleazy, gutter-like porn films, almost porn films that me and Carl like, sadly, they're the only documentation, and God knows they didn't intend it, of what New York City was like back then. Well, you know, you know what? The thing is, you can go back much, much further back. And oh, see yeah. what New York was like in the 30s and the 40s. And that's what film does. Let's not forget West Side Story, which was filmed 
uh, behind what is now Lincoln Center. And then six months later, that whole area they filmed was gone. Or the Harlem After Dark series. Yeah, uh uh-huh, exactly. The Cotton Club. Exactly. That's the only footage that we really have of what the Cotton Club actually looked like. Yeah. But yeah, but it started with Hell's Kitchen, but slowly they didn't get they really didn't get any traction until maybe the 80s. The 70s they just let everything go to shit. Mhm. And I wish Absolutely. I was talking in a small way. They let things go to shit. Mhm. And one of Carl's movies out of 81 really shows how bad they had let it just gone. Well, you know what? We, when we were talking about this particular episode, we yeah. made sort of a delineation. Films that showed the sleaze and films that showed the actual uh, uh, you know, destruction and, and, and horribleness of the area. And the one that you're re- mentioning um, – is is one of my favorite films from 1981, and it's called Wolfen. And if you remember that film, if you've ever seen it, there are all these scenes of the South Bronx, and particularly of a dilapidated church with nothing around it but rubble, and I mean for blocks. Well, back in the 80s, that was filmed in 81, and uh, about 83, 84, I... I worked for this woman, Carla Pinza, at Latino Playwrights. Her second in command was from the South Bronx and lived maybe about four blocks from where they filmed it. Now, this is 1984 now. 1981 it was filmed, 1984 it was still there. Nothing had been done to it. All right. Okay, nothing. So keep that in mind. But if you really want to see how horrible that area was that's perfect documentation Wolfen alright back to you this, and if you think this was just happening in New York City no it was happening in a lot of big cities oh absolutely Hell, even George Romero was covering that aspect was it like 70 when did Martin come out? It was like 76, 75, something like that. I can yeah, check that right now. Yeah, he was already talking and documenting that Pittsburgh and its outer boroughs were dying and dead. Yeah, well, of course, Pittsburgh was a little different situation because the the steel industry had basically died. Okay, and... Um, so, so you you have these areas in New York, and, and where they filmed it was Braddock, which was along the the, the Monongahela, uh, and it was just run down because you know everyone had left, all the buildings were were, were dilapidated and 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 vacant, 
and, and really got 77, by the way, 1977. Yeah. For Martin. But, yeah, I mean, that was one of the major plot points of the movie. Uh, Tom Savini, uh, who played uh, George Romero, Christine Romero's wife, Christine Forrest's wife in the movie, they were already talking about leaving the town because there was oh, no yeah. work, nothing for the youth. Oh. And, and that was very true. I mean, one thing about Pittsburgh today, if you go to Pittsburgh today, they really turned it around. Got to give them credit. Oh, it's, oh, going past the football stadium, it's yuppie fight as hell. Oh, yeah. I want well, to just no take a machine gun and just go, die, you millennial scumbag motherfuckers. Ah. Well, you know what? I, I have friends of mine who um, lived in what they called the Mexican War Streets. Mexican War Streets were about a quarter of a mile from from uh, Three Rivers. Okay, this is, yeah. you know, from that area. And, and, it was at that time, which was in the 90s, uh, was very much a bohemian art, arty area. You could walk to the, uh, you could walk to the stadium. You could also walk to the best uh, barbecue joint in Pittsburgh, which was Willie Stargell's place, up on the hill, and and and. Uh, you know, but but these days, I'm sure that's I'm positive that's all office buildings and stuff. All that is office gone. buildings and upscale apartments. Oh yeah, well that's what they do. I mean, take a look at what William Griffey said yeah. about you know the Everglades and what happened. Oh God, yeah, that um, thing yeah. in uh, uh, Sting of Death. Uh, condo, condo, family unit, park, gone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not just a New York thing. And, and, and oh, there's documentation. Over in Knoxville, too. I mean, it's going to be a completely different beast by the time I die. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But really, look how many times 42nd Street was changed over. First, 42nd Street was the burlesque houses, which mm-hmm. was the strip joints and the dance halls and the saloons. Right. But then they got took over and they became the the, the nudie places. Mm-hmm. Which is where you got a certain term. What they used to call them... Uh, um, oh, strip joints. Uh, <laughs> the bump and grind houses. Oh, yeah, the bump and grind houses. That's right. And when they got changed over because movies became king in the 50s, they took off the whole bump, and what did they become? Uh, I don't know. Grind houses. Exactly. And that term somehow got carried all over to the whole United States. And then they and then in the seventies they became 
exploitation houses. They were still grindhouses, but in the 70s they started showing more hardcore exploitation. And once King Porn came in with Deep Throat, right. yeah, they were always making money on being the taboo street. That was their sign of pride, wasn't it? Absolutely. Being Absolutely. in the books, the one-reelers, or anything. You know, uh, there's a great, I forget who said it. I think it might have been Dennis Leary. But but the whole thing about 42nd Street, it was what we called the gauntlet. The gauntlet was 47th Street from, from Broadway to 8th Avenue, which included 7th Avenue. Okay, and and that was the dangerous part of uh, the most dangerous part of, of Manhattan. Uh, maybe not completely, but but certainly, you know, uh, for the tourists and everything. And to be honest, when my parents came and visited me in the eighties, I made a point of bringing them down to Gauntlet. <laughs> Basically, to scare the shit out of them. Yeah. You know. Yep. But what most people leave out of the narrative is that most of the real moviegoers had left the deuce by eighty two, eighty three. Agreed. Agreed. Except for the ones that weren't on the deuce that were uh, either above or below, but more above, like forty oh, God, 46 yeah, the Waverly, well, Your that's, that's down in Village, but I'm talking there were theaters like 44th, 45th, 46th on Broadway. Wasn't exactly yeah, it was still a Times Square area, but it wasn't it wasn't one, the Deuce. Yeah, the one that showed the movie that you've seen the most. Um, well, there was one I think on 45th. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, that um, I saw like Terminator. I saw a sudden impact. I saw a number of films at that theater. I was thinking of the one where you watch four, you watch five kung fu hits all the time, about twenty or thirty, forty times. Right, but that's not the deuce. That's that's not the deuce. That's that's down in the Lower East Side, uh, uh, which is uh, 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 the Delancey. Yeah. Oh, that's where that that was. Your homes were the Delancey and King's Crossing. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I would hit the Waverly. I'd hit the Thalia. Uh, I'd I'd hit some of the, the 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 small art art theaters too. But yeah. my main ones were definitely the Delancey and King's Crossing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean they, the how bad they let. 42nd Street got poor guy was scary. Once Angel Dust came on 42nd Street, no sane person would go there. No. Of course I did, but I wasn't really sane at that point. <laughs> yeah, but that was right when it right when it started getting bad. Bad was when you went fuck this shit. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody else did. Mm-hmm. Because yep. by then, even the porn theaters and the sleaze theaters were just, they got what 
you can get a pretty penny for one of these nowadays because they were so rare and rarely in people's own possession. They were called VHS projectors. Yep. Now, if y'all remember how shitty the quality of VHS tapes is, imagine a movie projector type thing that can show VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So your glasses weren't bad if you when you went towards the last on Forty Second Street. It's just that that where that quality was that shitty. Mhm. Oh yeah. And the cops were raiding the places left and right, the adult theaters, especially. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, in the seventies. You started to see things like the bathhouses, uh, the massage parlors, Plato's Retreat. Who it surprised me once I found out who owned Plato's Retreat. I didn't know he owned that place. Who was that? Fred Lincoln. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? No. I don't think he owned it outright, but, but he certainly was involved in it. That pervert? (laughs) Yep. And we say that in a loving way. Oh, absolutely. And the the only thing that he was involved with that he was embarrassed with was Last House on the Left. Which most people would, would, would be proud of. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, in the 70s, you started to see the rougher stuff come in there, like ginger and stuff. But it must have been funny. I know you weren't there to see all of the straight white people and suburbanites come into the deuce and the rougher parts of New York to watch a dirty movie. Nah. Nah, I missed that. And you can bet that New York, the powers to be, probably were pissed off seeing that on the news that, you know. Oh, sure. But then the narrative was, New York, the city that doesn't sleep, nightclubs, movies, adult fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're a native New Yorker. You know there was even a disco song about Plato's Retreat? Oh, sure. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know it, but it doesn't surprise me. I'll get it to you after the show. But funny thing is, is that the first things that they closed down was the gay bathhouses. No, of course, there were reasons for that, too. No, I looked. It was a year or two before patients. They were putting pressure on them, but they didn't close. They they didn't didn't officially close until after the AIDS uh, crisis had hit. Yeah. Okay. But they were always putting pressure on the gay community. I mean, Stonewall, there were raids all the time. That's that's normal. 
But the bathhouses didn't close until after the advent of AIDS. Yeah, I know. They closed them down, and then they closed uh, Plato's Retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said there were prostitution going on there, which I've never really heard that. Anyone who was there would always be honest, like, yeah, they were running hookers out there. No, I've never heard one story about that. I've heard stories mm-hmm. about the VD was getting horrible and out of control there because people didn't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, go to Plato's, or to quote Ron Jeremy from the Plato's Retreat documentary, go to Plato's VD, get the clap, go to your doc, get a shot, boom, you're back there next week. Yeah. But, yeah, they really started... And it wasn't the tourism board didn't really come in until, well, you started getting like, I love New York is the theme again. They got Frank Sinatra to record that. Was it a record or a re-record for the campaign? Uh, no, I, no I, they might have re-recorded it, but, but uh, it was certainly a song he had already been, been uh, connected with over the years. No question. Yeah. And your favorite guy did a fuck you to that song in the New York Tourism Board's campaign. Do you remember what it was? No, I don't know what you're referencing. I love L.A. <laughs> well, well, nah, that, that, I don't think that had anything to do with New York. Uh, no, that was sort of his, his uh, 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 love note middle finger to L.A. So uh, anyway. Yeah, and it was no, really. He has said it, it was a middle finger to the "I Love New York" campaign. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, like, oh yeah, you want to talk about how much you fucking love New York? Well, fuck you. I'm gonna talk about how much I love L.A. <laughs> well, we we do love our, ourselves some uh, uh, Randy, Randy Newman, no question. Yeah, I mean, you started seeing these songs ripped off. Let's see. I Love New York, uh, Native New Yorker. Yep. You're a Native New Yorker. All these pro-New York songs that they started it. So really, the New York Tourism Board's campaign of gentrification really didn't start till. Ed Koch came into town. You were around during his reign of terror, wasn't you? Well, it wasn't a reign of terror, actually. It was so, That was still under the table to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, that's not by the time made. I left, but certainly at the beginning. Now, I came into New York in 81. Um, and the, the deuce was still there. Uh, I mean, yeah. it had it, it gotten sleazier, but it was still there. It was the last uh, It wasn't until, as we said, probably 83, 84 that it really got bad. Yeah. But what they basically did, Stephen, was they let it alone. They let it rot for right. the, the exact like reason that they wanted to, 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 to take it, buy all the stuff and redo it and, and, and sell it and gentrify it. That was the idea right. there. No question. They made it so that what your roommate said 
as you said at the first of the show, was actually correct. Mm-hmm. And I do agree with it. By the time that they put it out of its misery, it was time. Oh, absolutely. But did they purposely let it get that bad? Oh, fuck yes. Oh, I agree. You were around when the money was handed under the table. Everything that was done when Koch was in there was done under the table. You know, all the place pieces were lined up. Yeah, and and, and, and Koch was very much that way. Uh, I actually was in a couple meetings with him. That's that's another story completely. But I met him oh, on a couple. Oh, no, that fits this narrative. Go and tell it. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with with Times Square. It has to do with Carla and the Puerto Rican film, Puerto Rican. Uh, 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 um, well, we're talking uh, about New York City, period. Did. So it does. Nah, nah, nah. Let's go on. It really has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> uh oh, Carl censoring himself. This must be interesting. <laughs> it's for another day. For another day, I'll tell that story. <laughs> Yeah, back when someone doesn't have a rifle pointed outside of his window. Carl just seen the red (laughs) dot on his chest. (laughs) Shit! Yeah, more or less. (laughs) Nothing to say, nothing to say, nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you started seeing New York exploitation films getting nastier and grungier with uh, Maniac. Oh yeah, um, but wasn't oh. didn't Spinel base him on uh, Sammy Boy? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not saying there might be a little bit in there, but I I really don't think so. Though there's only one thing that I consider bullshit. Would a comfort, would a couple be out camping on Coney Island Beach? At 2 a.m. in the fucking morning on 1981, New York City. <laughs> um, maybe if they were, what is a little excitement, perhaps. Yeah. It was. I would uh, be thinking actually, that the that, cops would run them off or something like that. Not that the I, I would be camping, but hanging out there, I could see. Well, if you remember the first the maniac, they're camping out there on the fucking beach. I know, I know. And starting a fire there. Good God. Yep. But, yeah, there's a lot of great... Well, you probably know how grimy those toilets were. I don't see how you used the subway toilet back then, man. I couldn't. Oh, by the time I was here, they were they were closed off. <laughs> just because from yeah, that one yeah. scene where he stalks that nurse and told that just looks like the nastiest damn place in the world. Well, you know what? Don't forget the fight in the Warriors. And, yeah. the, and and the bathroom stalls. Seriously. That was a set because uh, the the real bathrooms were too small for them to film a fight in. Yep. 
just remember they had to get the cameras, the lighting, the sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny how clean-looking Warriors is, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, I but mean, still, uh, there's a... none of that dirty New York that you'd usually see in any other exploitation film. But, but, but you know what? This, there, there are neighborhoods that are well documented in there. Yeah. Uh, particularly the, the 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 scene with the orphans. Oh God, yeah. That was a real neighborhood. Yeah. I checked that today. Yeah. You see what you get? I would love to have seen a gang back then that carried around their press clippings. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that makes no sense, but who the fuck cares? Seriously. We'd have loved that movie. Yeah, that movie is great. That's one of the first times I ever heard of 42nd Street because... The first night that the Warriors got out, there were riots in the theater. Yep. Why? I don't fucking know. All I know is I don't that know some gangs were watching it, gotten pissed, and trashed the theater. So Paramount pulled the th- movie from the theaters for about, was it a week or a, a little bit longer than that? I think it was a week. Yeah, and then they put out some ads that are fucking impossible to find today, and it pisses me off where they trumpet that fact. It had this woman with her back to the camera talking on a payphone. He said, did you hear about that new movie, man? It caused riots in the theaters, and they're bringing it back. Absolutely. And then as she's talking, it showed some guy, back to the camera, of course, no faces, walk up in a warrior's vest and hug her. He's like, we're going to see it right now. What's the name of it? And then as soon as he said, what's the name of it, the guy with the warrior's vest hugged her, and the big fucking warrior symbol was facing towards the camera. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you remember those TV ads? Yeah, I do. I do. What? I do. They're not on any DVD or Laserdisc release for it. I don't know why. Maybe they lost them. Just... It might have been a local thing, a New York thing. I don't know if that was national or not. I've seen that in Tennessee, son. Okay, well then never mind. I didn't say it was right. There's a lot of TV ads that are freaking missing. But, yeah, I just thought it was just, it's so brilliant that it just stuck in my mind as a nine-year-old kid. I want to see that movie. Oh, yeah. When it comes to the midnight scene, the Warriors and Maniac were the two big New York midnight movies. Well, actually, I'm not completely true. Um, what's the what's the one the Slava Zuckerman one the the Oh, Liquid Sky, yeah. Yeah, Liquid Sky too. Definitely. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Well, the two. And you talk about a movie that documents the uh, documents the East Village. That's that that's dead on that movie. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. that well, that's the East Village I remember and love. Seriously, a little above my pay grade. Uh, because, uh, uh, but still, Let's be honest, really, that was the trust fund babies group in Liquid Sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I said, a little bit about my pay grade. But nonetheless, pretty good. Oh, yeah. And then you would get all the vigilante films that came out that had. If you watched any of the vigilante films from the early 80s, you would think that New York City is the most gang-infested, scummy. You're going to get raped 10 seconds after you step off the fucking bus. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Let's see. Vigilante. uh, Fighting Mad. uh, Fighting Force. Death Wish. Yeah, Death Wish 2, Death Wish 3, Mm -hmm. which is the most insane one ever. Yeah. I didn't say it was good. (laughs) Yeah, we love that one. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that really fit their narrative, too. They're like, yeah, if they see all these films, they'll think that New York is is a scummy toilet that needs to be flushed. Yep. And maybe so. And speaking of ones that were controversial in the early 80s, were you with Carla by the time that Fort Apache, the Bronx, came out? Uh, Yeah, I was in New York at the time. Uh, Were you close to all of the Puerto Rican protests of that freaking movie? Well, I, I know. Actually, no. Because I didn't get involved with Carla until about 83. So that had already passed. Yeah, they raised so much hell over that movie. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And I was looking at that era. I can't decide which one is more racist for Puerto Ricans in that era. The possession of Joel Delaney... Or Fort Apache, the Bronx. Well, for New Yorkers, I I I think it's Fort Apache. Not many people remember Joel Delaney that much. I remember it because I get to see Chaperi King with a switchblade knife talking in a Puerto Rican accent, man. And you're basically going to yourself, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like, what the fuck is this shit? But yeah, Port Apache, the Bronx is a nasty, nasty means. I love mean spirited cop movies. Mm-hmm. But Port Apache, the Bronx, see what makes me go. Wait a minute, man. Just wait the fuck up. Just slow you roll. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Didn't you think that it was a bit much yourself when you see it? I didn't see it until much later, but yes, I do agree. I, do, I actually didn't see that until I moved back from New York. 
Yeah, that was a HBO staple in the 80s because of Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, HBO in the 80s. Paul Newman channel. <laughs> yeah, Which that means and the verdict. And Harry and Son. I think that movie, more than anything, made me hate Robbie Benson. (laughs) But then, right now where Wurkotch came in, and then the tourism board. Well, Paul Morrissey is a known New York provocateur. Mm -hmm. You cannot talk about New York grimy side depicted in the movies without talking about Paul Morrissey just rolling in the shit. Gleefully. Well, let's let's make sure that everyone knows who Paul Morrissey is. Because he was connected okay, with it. Andy Warhol. He was part of the factory. Yeah. So he did all these films connected to Warhol, which were uh, the majority of them were, were New York filmed. You know, not Blood for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. <coughs> but the other ones were. Chelsea Girls and so on and so forth. Yeah, Chelsea um, Girls is his normal film. Yeah, I kind of like, uh, kind of like take it back to that. But you know what? You're actually kind of right. <laughs> Scary. Compared to the Delisandro trilogy, they were normal, man. <laughs> I love those movies. Flesh, heat, and trash. Mm-hmm. Those were basically, I'm in love with Joe D'Alessandro, and I want him to inject drugs and be as sleazy and grimy as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what they were. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Joe D'Alessandro is a gay icon in those three movies. And those films painted a horrible picture of what New York is. Mm -hmm. Well, it just makes you wonder what kind of circles did Morrissey run in? Well, well, you know, that that was... The whole thing about the factory, you know, it, uh, God bless it. And this is before the the no budget people, which I tried to get into in the eighties. Yeah, and and don't forget too, you know, you know, you talk about Paul Paul Morrissey, you know, and I'm sure you'll get into Abel and and his films. Oh, but God. there were New York filmmakers that reveled in the seedy side of New York and also documentary the neighborhoods and the bad neighborhoods. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I'm sure that we won't even touch on some of those, but yeah. It just seemed like they loved to live in the dark side. Like, I know you don't like him and I understand. 
because most of his best films, which are his straight films, which revel in the dark, nasty side of New York City, are pretty much fucking vanished to the wind. They don't exist anymore, and that would be the great Andy Milligan. Oh, well, I have, I have a, a, a semi-soft spot for Milligan stuff. Yeah, his straight stuff, not his horror stuff. His horror stuff, they're as bad it's as bad. lead. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. But if you want to see a great story about what the bathhouses were like, watch Andy Milligan's Vapors. Great fucking movie. You you gave me that not too long ago to watch, yeah. and it was really something. Seriously. And Nightbirds, uh, Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. that consider Flesh Pot on 42nd Street the best film about the deuce ever made. It's certainly one of the better ones, no question. Yeah. It's not as sleazy as most, but it's not as romanticized as most. That's the problem I would see. Even the makers of the Deuce television series fell into this trap, is that they like to romanticize how it is back then, especially all of these young boys were like, boy, I wish I would have been able to go back there back then. Well, you know what? I can understand that. Now, I was at the end of, of that era. Yeah. Okay, and and it got bad, but but I had this thing about 42nd Street. So I left New York in 87, and I didn't come back to visit till about 2006 or 2007. Yeah. Okay. And so I came back to visit, and I went to 42nd Street and 8th Avenue. This is after they had all gentrified it and such. And on the corner, where Show World used to be, there was a Toys R Us gymnasium. Which is gone and now. And the tear came down my eye. So I understand the sense of loss. Because I won't go into 42nd Street anymore. It's not what I remember. Yeah. It's not what I loved. It's not that sense of danger. Right? It's, it's it wasn't just, dangerous uh, you because there were two people who weren't fucked with on 42nd Street. There was, number mm-hmm. one, the guys who were so tough that they would think that they would mug them. Mm-hmm. And then there were the second, which were you were. What? Which they could tell that they were so fucking broke <laughs> that if they mugged them, they wouldn't get a goddamn pity. That actually happened to me. (laughs) Yeah. Carl's the only person I've ever met that has a, I was so broke that a mugger gave me money story. (laughs) No, he didn't give me money. He just didn't take what I had. He looked at me like, you're as bad off as I am. (laughs) Yeah, goddamn. When a junkie pities you. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, Paul Morrissey did did a more affectionate film. That's trash. No, what is it? Bad. Mm-hmm. The one about all female hit service. 
wonderful film. Hilarious. And actually, that was not Morrissey. That was Joe Johnston who did that. I thought Morrissey was involved in it. No. No, that was oh, Joe my. Johnston. That was after Morrissey had his break with the Warhol. Yeah, when he went over, oh, about when he went over to Italy to do the two. Uh, no, it was, it was after that. Oh, okay. It was after that. Yeah. Let's just say Paul Morrissey did not take it well that two movies that he directed were credited to fucking Andy Warhol with Andy Warhol's permission. Yeah. Yep. Not happy at all. Then he made a film that has never seen a theatrical check cable check VHS check laser disc. Check, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, any kind of physical media legal release in the United States of America, and that would be 40 dues. Mm-hmm. And that will be one of the movies that Carl comes to me saying, what the fuck did you make me watch? <laughs> Russ, seriously. I, I watched that over the weekend. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) What it's about is Kevin Bacon plays your typical hustler on the deuce that would hustle guys out of the New York Transit Authority who thought he was smart and knew what the fuck he was doing, but in reality was a complete freaking idiot. Yeah. Seriously. And it just... It's on YouTube, so look it up. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Just let it know that it gets nasty, 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 nasty. And can I just warn them? They will never, ever see Henry Gibson again in the same light. Ever. (laughs) That is true. We had yeah. to invent a new term for uh, after we seen Henry Gibson in this movie, didn't we? No, I, I don't remember it anyway. Chicken file or necro chicken or something like that. Nah, nah, nah. You're giving you're giving too much away. Don't tell Okay, them. okay. Never mind. But yeah. But then you would go. He mentioned a couple names, but yeah, we're in the underground now. When you got into the underground New York filmmakers that dealt in exploitation in the early 80s and the 80s, you would get into some mean motherfuckers that did some mean motherfucking films. You would get Buddy Giovanzano. Wait, never mind. I, I forgot to tell the story. Uh. The reason I bring up 40 Deuce is that this was the only movie that really has been documented has being banned by political pressure by the New York Tourism Board. And, of course, the, the, the don't forget the mayor's office and all that's connected. Yeah. And the New York State 
tourism board too. All that that's connected. the first time that they basically stepped out of the shadows, and you could see, wait, who are these motherfuckers, and how do they have this kind of power? Mm-hmm. But they that were was around when before. That. Was in, right? Yeah, but they were around Once before Deacons. that. Yeah. Yeah. But once Deacons came in, it was all above table. They didn't give a shit yeah. anymore. And yeah, contrary to most people's in, narratives, Donald Trump was not involved in this. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that no. this is not slamming him for being an idiot as president. Everyone in power in New York City, Donald Trump was the red-headed, retard stepchild even back then to them. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. He never was in with them. Mm-hmm. He probably would have liked to be, but he was too busy losing money hand over fist. But mm-hmm. that's a story for a different day. Right. I mean, they swooped in about 85, 86, boom. They got rid of 42nd Street. And it wasn't a loud thing. It happened at 3 a.m. about 85, 86. A little after that because I was gone. It's like 88. Yeah. When it when it was really shut down, like you said. But what happened but was it already that had just showed up in the theaters at 80 at then, just 3 a.m. and just said, okay. Everybody out, this is being shut down by order of the city. And everybody Mm -hmm. was shuffled out and locks were put on the doors. Right. There wasn't no loudness. It was all quiet. Yep. And no one really complained because it was so bad. Yeah. And that was the catch-22. That's how we get fucked in the ass so much nowadays. They make it so bad that we don't complain when they start sodomizing us. Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. You know. Well, they're doing it in our best interests. Well, you know, uh, at one point I want to backtrack a little bit and tell them the story that I told you that started. Go ahead right now. Okay, so I'm... Uh, I got connected with a woman by the name of Carla Pinza, uh, Latino playwrights at Henry Street Settlement down on Grand Street. And uh, Carla was an actress. She ran this, uh, uh, and she got some jobs. And, and, and one of the jobs she got, she was the equalizer was shooting in New York. And uh, she got on the equalizer and, and had a, this is like 86, I think. 8586. Yeah. Um, and that show, from what she told me, and then what I was able to find out, was that was a weekly show uh, that was filming in New York. And it was uh, the basic idea was, you know, you call this guy if you're in trouble. And so they had a tendency to film in some of the worst areas of New York. And the tourism board 
was not happy with them. And uh, I, I heard this from Carla. I've also checked certain uh, things. But if you take a look at the Equalizer, the last year or year and a half it was in production, they moved up to Toronto because they were getting so much pressure from the uh, tourism board and from the political machinations of the mayor's office and so on and so forth. And Go ahead. And how they did it wasn't political pressure per se. It was bullshit fees and rate raises. Well, it was rate raises. It was also uh, uh, um, postponing uh, uh, clearances, things like that, making clearances a lot harder to get to. So stuff you couldn't and really put your finger on, but but you could tell. You know they weren't happy. And and uh, this this is relatively well documented in terms of not only that show but a, several shows. And if you look now, there's very little being shot specifically in NYC, particularly for television. how they killed the New York filming industry. And we're talking location shooting now. filming industry. Well, we're talking location shooting particularly. There's still, like, the studios here you can shoot in, and and there's a lot of stuff being produced here in the city. But I'm talking location. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, it was horrible on there. And another film that they got pissed off at was Friday the 13th, Part 8. It had a brilliant poster. It had I and then, boom, a slash through the heart, and it was parodying the I Love New York poster. So what did the New York Tourism Board do? They sued the shit out of the filmmakers, saying that they were doing copyright infringement. Yep, that's exactly what they did. So they pulled the poster, and now if you can find an original nowadays, you can it will set you back three to four hundred dollars for an original. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they did everything they could to basically. Clean and Disney fight. It's called Disney fight because Disney was the biggest company there. Well, let me put it this way: uh, if you want to find a hooker on on Times Square, you know what you have to do now. You have to yell uh, "Hi ho, hi ho, hi ho." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was like. They just basically ran ever, but everything that was interesting about old New York out. But they go back to what I'm saying that they even ran off their most interesting underground filmmakers. Oh, yeah. I mean, in 1981, there was this film that came out. It was about 80, 81. It was by this guy who had just made a bizarre fucking porno film called. Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy, which is out on Vinegar Syndrome Uncut, which I need to get. I'm underlining that. I need to get it for the fucking end of, end of this year just so I can say, I own Abel Ferrara fucking. <laughs> God help us all. 
and he brought out this movie called The Driller Killer. And what kind of picture of New York City did that movie fucking bring out, Carl? Uh, not a real good one. Not a good one of the Lower East Side, man. In the East no. Village. Not at all. It was basically a movie about an artist who goes batshit crazy because he's pissed off that there's a punk band playing below him that's actually got more fans than he does and he can't sleep and his father's a bum on the street so he sees this ad on a television for a porta pack drill so he buys it and starts drilling people <laughs> very arty, very bizarre, angry fucking film. Yep. You would think that once Abel got it out of there, he would make a nicer film. Well, he did in the second film with Thank You to New York City, the greatest city in the world, didn't he? Um, well, you're talking yeah, about Fear City, which is the, the first film, film I ever saw of it. <laughs> It's on there, but what was his second film called? His second. It was called Fair City. No, it's it's 45. No, no, no. Fair City's before 45. No, Fair City's 86, 87. It was. uh, No, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm looking right now. I'm looking right now. I'm looking right now. Give me a second. I bet you money. I'll put money down. Okay. A quarter. Okay, quarter it is. Hold on. Hold on. Good old Abel. We love him. Okay, I have to get... Okay, hold on. We're working on... The first one of his I saw in the theater was Fear City. Yeah. And I'm... Okay, so so I'm not wrong with that, okay? Okay, I owe you a quarter. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, I owe you a quarter. I'm sorry, I owe 80, you a quarter. Yeah. What was it, 81? 81, 80, and then Fair City is 84. when Miss 45 came out. 81. 81 is, is, is yeah. Miss 45, and 84 is Fair City. Yeah. But still, if you want another nasty portrait of New York City, watch Miss 45. Oh, oh that's a fucking lootly. God, God bless it. Yeah, Miss 45, a.k.a. every man in New York City is a rapist. Yep. And it takes patience in the fashion district in New York. Yep. <laughs> and this one's about a woman who goes crazy because she's raped twice in one day. Yeah. So she takes her rapist gun and starts killing every man in fucking New York City she can. Yep. And let's be honest, it's a better version of Death Wish than Death Wish. It's more like oh, the book. Agreed. Agreed. And that's one thing we should bring up. Death Wish, the book, is about a guy named Paul Kersey who starts killing punks because his wife's daughter is mugged and ki- raped and killed. And he learns that he likes it. 
which they mm-hmm. never did touch in any of the Bronson movies, did they? No, no. And, and of course, Brian Garfield was actually very disappointed. You know, with yeah. with uh, what they did with Death Wish. If you want a closer version of what Death Wish should be, watch Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. Also based on a novel by by Brian Garfield. And it's a more true version of what Death Wish should have been than what we got. Yeah, especially if you get the uncut version. But yeah, Miss Forty Five is a mean, nasty little film, and it's another great one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, isn't it funny that you got these street level guys like Morrissey, Abel, and Buddy, who we haven't got into yet, that would really tell the nasty, dark side of New York without romanticizing their characters? Oh well. Yeah, and don't forget that, you know, this is in the 80s. Don't forget that these guys are influenced by the films of the 70s, too. Yeah. And, and, and always the underground tends to be darker and grittier than anything you see, you know, that's that's Hollywood produced. Just remember that. Insane fucking movies you will ever see out of the 80s, which I love to death. I've never asked Carl what he thinks of it, and that's Mixed Blood. Oh, God. I love Mixed Blood. Are you kidding? <laughs> what did Carla think of Mixed Blood? <laughs> I have no clue. I, I remember <laughs> watching it and saying, I'm not going to tell her I watched this. Carmen Miranda is your fucking goddess, boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically Othello, right? No, no, Macbeth. It's Macbeth. Done with a woman who believes that Carmen Miranda and a Chiquita Banana woman is a goddess and their queen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. I love that. Well, that era of of, of Paul Morrissey, it's just awesome. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And these are all films I saw at King's Crossing, too. Yeah. Uh, Mixed Blood. But my favorite of that era of his Mm -hmm. is still Alphabet City. Oh, God, yeah. That one is definitely on the top five. Because it really gets into gentrification really bad. Because <coughs> that's the whole crux of the story. The crux of the story mm-hmm. is the lead guy. His apartment is about his apartment building where his mother is. His mother and brother, or just his mother, his wife and kid. His mother, wife and kid is about to be destroyed within twenty four hours. Due to a gentrification project. Mm -hmm. So he has to hustle his ass off to get the money to get them the fuck out of there. Yep. And it's a great fucking movie. Oh, it is. 
It is. And it has still the most favorite my... fucking line ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know what the Brooklyn alphabet is, Stephen? What? Fucking A, fucking B, fucking C, fucking D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And amazingly, it got great reviews across the board. That's why I seen it, because oh, it got great fucking reviews. I mean, damn how much this movie was loved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is. It's a really fine film. No question. And if you want and we talked about Wolfen. Next to Wolfen, yep. Brook uh Alphabet City is the movie to watch to let you see how bombed out and nasty to let it get. Oh yeah. And and don't forget too, I I'm first hand uh purveyor of that because I I worked in the East Village. And uh, Alphabet City was really like post-World War II France at that point in time. Um, yeah. And I actually went to a to a place that, that was uh, um, a club called 8BC. It was on 8th Street between Avenues B and C. It was in a bombed-out building, but it was down below in the basement. And the, the first floor was still habitable at that point. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. But all around were, were drug dens and, 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 and bombed out buildings. It was really, really bad. Nowadays you go into that area, it's like condos and everything up to Avenue D. Seriously. You didn't go past Avenue B back in the day unless you wanted to get killed Mm. or drugs. And Alphabet City has one of my biggest fuck you lines ever. Uh, Vincent Spano's character is trying to rush through there. Then a guy gets him and slams him against the wall and pulls a knife out on him. And he he looks at the guy and says, what do you want? He's like, I want your fucking money. He said, oh, you're a mugger. I thought you was from the tourism board. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the number one top three movies, if you want to see what bombed out New York is, number one is Wolfen. Two is yeah. Alphabet City. And three mm-hmm. is Tenement. Yeah, the Roberta Finley one. Ugh, yeah. good God. You'll need, you'll need a couple showers after that one. Oh, God, yeah. But they did a commentary for it for when it first came out on DVD. It was mm-hmm. like, where did you build these locations? What do you mean build these locations? It was like this. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. The guy's like, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, they did they that. Said they said it did was that harder on, on. for them to find a building that was nice enough for them to film in rather than finding mm-hmm. the nasty bombed out shit. Right. And and don't think, you know, I mean, that was the same thing that Equalizer was doing too. They they were finding some really, really nasty little places. Um, and and um, I remember where she was doing it was Red Hook. 
but they used to they used to like film on on 42nd Street and all all the the show worlds and all those places man did not show New York on a really good light and that's why they got into so much trouble and Tenement is the only film ever to get X rating and go okay fuck it (laughs) okay with that yeah like you got an X rating for violence can we put that on the poster? Cool. What? <laughs> and it's <laughs> on the fucking poster. <laughs> yeah. Rated X for violence. Yeah. Unless you're a real strong hardcore fleas fan, stay away from Tenement. Yeah, really. But yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a hardcore fleas fan. Yeah. So no thanks. As mean as Abel got and as insane as uh, Morrissey, Morrissey got, you didn't get as nastier and downbeat than Buddy Giovazzano's American Nightmares, a.k.a. Combat Shot. Good God. Fuck God. That movie will just... Let's just say just it will fuck took, you up. Yeah. It will fuck you yeah. up bad. <laughs> bad. Either one of his movies, which is Combat Shock or Life is Hot in Cracktown. Mm-hmm. There's also there's also his short his horror short in and uh, um, 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 come on, what's the name of that one? The one um, not Trapped Ashes, but the uh, Cedar Bazaar. Yeah. Cedar Bazaar. He has a short, and that will fuck you up, too. Badly. More than any of the other two, Jim Vazano just took what he's seen sitting out on the stoop of his neighborhood and just put it in a book and put it on the film. Right, and, and the nice thing about Jim Vazano is he documents uh, a borough that just isn't regularly documented. And that's Staten Island. Yeah. All his stuff is Staten Island. But yeah. I think it's funny. Uh Lloyd Kaufman calls uh Blood Sucking Freaks the nastiest film that Troma's ever released and they probably won't release it if they were offered it today. Right. And me, I'm like, motherfucker, haven't you watched Combat Shock or American Nightmares? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, Carl doesn't like blood-sucking freaks, but if he had a choice... <laughs> no, I would watch I would watch uh, Giovanazza, because he earns it. Yeah. He earns it. Yeah. You he need really to does. watch that. If you earn the sleaze and the nastiness, then I'm okay with it. I wouldn't call his movie sleaze. I would call it honestly. You know, they say, oh, it's so honest it cuts to the bone. No, it's so honest it cuts past the damn bone. Yeah. Seriously. 
But yeah, if you're looking for the last really big film to come out on the deuce before it went into second run and all that crap, you'd have to go all the way back to uh, make them die slowly because that's the last big giant one I can really find documented. But the last film... And that's like 82, 83. I remember that. I remember that coming out. But the last film ever shot on the deuce before it became Disneyland was... Shakedown by our by another great New York filmmaker, James Glickenhouse. Ah, uh, PM Entertainment. Oh, I love them. That was right before. No, that was actually uh, Columbia Pictures, a big studio film. His last big studio Damn. film before he went to do PM Entertainment. Oh, okay. He was still writing off his New York Sleaze classic, The Exterminator. Yeah, okay, right. And that's another nasty one. Mm-hmm. And you know that bombed-out club that's the ABC club? Yeah. You know uh, the scene where he ties the guy up in The Exterminator? <laughs> yeah. With the flame? That's the ABC club right there. He says so. I, I, I well, I, I, I'd have to see that again. I'd have to see that again to verify. I haven't seen the Exterminator in a long, long time. That one's another nasty one, but it's good. Anything that's James Glickenhouse is good when it comes to '80s action and '90s. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But yeah, Shakedown. It actually had, he actually got in trouble with the tourism board for one scene. He had Sam Elliott sleeping in a grindhouse. And it was like, no one ever did. And they were like, no one ever did that. Oh, for shit. I used to call them the bum hotels, didn't they? Yeah. Absolutely. You would have the homeless guys came in, pay their five bucks, and then stay all night long to when they close for three hours, then come back, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, the most fucked up thing is that the scene where I'm talking about, Carl, is the scene where Sam Elliott is fighting on the deuce, where he the guy crashes his car off of that bridge. Yeah. Okay. Well, 36 feet in front of it is the movie. 30 feet behind it, they're fucking tearing down the deuce as they're fucking filming. They're out racing the wrecking crew to try to get the movie filmed. God damn. Unbelievable. Yeah, they told me, it's like, oh, you got a week. And they're like, good. Then all of a sudden they showed up. We're wrecking it today. What? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It became like tourist Broadway theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed. Carl's lucky because he actually did get to go home again Friday. Yeah, I did. I did. I certainly did. 
I um. So I went to see Color Out of Space, and that's running in two places here in the city. And one of the places is the IFC Center on 6th Avenue off of West 4th Street. Well, that used to be called the Waverly. And so I went in expecting, you know, oh, they probably cleaned up the place. Not so much. It's pretty much what I remember it. It was up on the second floor. Uh, there's two theaters up on the second floor. The only thing I saw is that they do have an elevator now. Uh, but uh, other than that, it was very much what I remember. Did a tear go down very, your face very much. seeing how much hadn't changed? Well, you know what? That sort of made me smile. And and there yeah, were a bunch of people. Sometimes it's a good thing to walk into a haunted house. Well, you know what? There There, there were a bunch of kids there and and when i say kids you know in their 20s and 30s and and uh i i got talking to one quite a bit beforehand and and i just said it's it's nice to see this the way it was when i remember it in the 80s he says this was around in the 80s oh oh, oh, of course it was it was called the waverly oh i never heard that before so i talked to him about the waverly and what it was like uh, it was re- really nice. And then the one thing I do have to say is, is, is that um, they do have something called the Waverly uh, Midnight Show still being done there. Good. I have to check to see what they're really doing with it, if it's a uh, weekly thing or if it's only so often or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was really nice to go there and really, really nice to see a little bit of my old New York and not really touched up. So that was cool. Because if you really know your midnight movies, the Waverly was ground central. Particularly after, what was it? Not the Essex. What was the other one um, where Rocky Horror Pictures show started and then that theater went under and then it went over to the Waverly? No, it went to the Waverly... And then it went to the one that went under. Then it went back to the Waverly. Okay, okay. But when I say Ground Central, I'm talking January 31st, 1969. Yep. When John Lennon introduced this new film from a Mexican, from an Argentinian filmmaker named Alejandro Jodorowsky. Mm-hmm. And that would be El Topo. Well, of course. But, yeah. It's nice to see that the Waverly is still there. Especially in the oh, time yeah. when... That made me feel really good. I was really happy yeah. about that. Owen, what did you, speaking of the wrap-up the show, yes, we've told about that, but, yeah, after that... that Pretty much New York, as you knew, as we knew it back then, was gone. It took a while, but it did. And what's scary is the blue plate, the blueprint of what the New York Tourism Board did, became the standard blueprint for how to gentrify a city 
and have people not either notice or eat the sh- eat eat their shit and like it. Yep. But to end the show on a good note, you did get to go see it on Friday. How was it? Tell, give the official Coltside Radio review of the <laughs> color out of space. Okay, well, well, let's let's just make this clear, okay? Before I really get into the film itself, both Stephen and I are really big fans of Richard Stanley, and the reason I went there was Richard Stanley as at a 12.30 in the afternoon showing all 17 people, I'd say 15 people were there specifically for Richard Stanley and, and to see what he did. And, of course, the story is he did two very good films, that, uh, which is Hardware and, and Dust Devil. Then he was kicked off of his uh, version of uh, um, The Island of Dr. Moreau. And then well, he hell, sort of just disappeared. No, he didn't really show. disappear. But the film itself is really good. Um, okay, so it stars Nick Cage, and, and the family has moved uh, uh, moved down to uh, the, the woods away from the city, and they're raising alpacas, and it's a good family unit. And then suddenly there's this meteor that shows up uh, <coughs> that uh, – uh, this big pink light or this light that you can't really tell what color it is. And then all hell breaks loose. And it's part of, of, of course, uh, the Lovecraftian, uh, you know, Lovecraft and, and his, uh, um, universe. And the wonderful thing about it for me, there were three things that really hit me. One was Nicholas Cage, because Nicholas Cage is, pretty buttoned down at the beginning of the film. And it's only as the weirdness starts really happening that you see this gradation of change. And it's really, he really does well. Now, by the end of the movie, he's batshit crazy. So if you're going for, 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 for batshit crazy Nick Cage, he's there. But so is the actor Cage. And it's a nice transition. It's well done. I thought all the act- actors did really well, um, and there was a lot of humor involved too. Okay, there 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 were some laugh out loud moments, but there were some moments, man, like what the fuck is that? The other thing is, he was very judicious in his jump square scares. There's only two of them, and they work extremely well. He uh, at the end of the movie, you're on to a full size. Uh, uh, um, uh, acid trip, maybe not so much as Mandy, but but nonetheless, uh, uh, you're there, and it really, really is something uh, well worth it. Everybody that I have talked to has enjoyed the movie, except for like two posters that I've noticed that didn't like it. But you know what? And they can go to hell. I mean, and their opinion well, is respected. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, people are not going to like it, you know, that's fine. But you know what? You know what I thought when I left the movie was that this is Richard Stanley's fuck you movie to, to, to Hollywood. Saying, I'm fucking back. Fuck you. You can't get rid of me now. And you're not going to. 
It does a really good job. It's well done. I recommend it highly. So that is my report on uh, The Color Out of Space, directed by Richard Stanley. And uh, can I just say that um, um, I should check who the actors are, but uh, but uh, just check the IMDb on it. They're, they're all really good, uh, and it's well done. So, yeah, that there you go. All right, cool. Stephen? Yeah. And with that, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope we gave a lot of good information. If we didn't, well, then on you. <laughs> seriously. But seriously, this is 147, and next Sunday, and coming up soon, is going to be our... Good Lord, 300 and, no, four. Good Lord. Yeah, scary, huh? I got to check the numbers. Oh, coming up soon is our 450th episode. How the hell did 450 episodes come out? I don't know. Yeah. But of all the movies we talked tonight, which ones would you recommend them see the most? Me? It would be, well, like I said, the top. It would be, uh, oh, there's one that we forgot. Got to mention okay. real quick, and that's Abel Ferrara's King of New York. Oh, yeah. And that one really is this movie really 200% dealing with gentrification because that's where that famous line that Carl got. He said, what's the dirtiest world in the world? Even dirtier than the word fuck, Frank? Yeah, gentrification. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And... Basically, at the end, it's basically this guy gets out of prison and he tries to save his New York, but it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And it has one of the saddest lines ever is the old school cop and the main uh, gangster are sitting in an apartment. And he said, do you really think that when we're gone, people are going to even remember or miss us? No, no one's going to give a shit. Nope. And I hope to God that people after we're gone, the people that were there for the funeral or the people that were there for the good old days, that y'all still remember it because that's your damn job now, God damn it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's like I said, that story of being there and, 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 and seeing all the changes in that. And, and I, I see that a lot, but, but man, it, I can understand nostalgia to, to a certain degree, but man, it, it's, it's just tough to see. Gentrification can be really tough. Um, and if you have to live through it, God, God bless you because it's not easy. And by the way, the movie that I would recommend uh, uh, 
if you really want to see a visual representation, Wolfen, watch Wolfen. Yeah. Seriously. For me, it would probably be uh, Tenement, but that's just my tastes. Yeah. With a big, big I would not cross. recommend Tenement, but that's okay. I understand yeah. why you do, though. I do get that. But you got to understand, when it comes to being movie fans and people who are there, me and Carl are at the last line of the Wild Bunch days. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll yep. be what it was. It'll be what it'll be. Exactly. Exactly. And with that, good night. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen, for having me on. Appreciate it, man. Okay. Good night, everyone. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.